Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Marty Kagan, partner at Silicon Valley Product Group and author of Inspired, How to Create Tech Products Customers Love, and the co-author of the newly published Empowered, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Products. In this episode, we talked about the tremendous gap between how the best companies operate and how the rest work, what they do differently and why, and then dove into Marty's new book, Empowered, and the motivation behind it. We also discussed how the best leaders empower their teams, how real product discovery and product work happens, and then talked about how alignment is a consequence of a good product strategy. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Marty, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks very much. Thanks for inviting me, Andrew. It's great to have you. For the listeners, uh, Marty is a partner of Silicon Valley Product Group, who help companies with product organization, vision, strategy, discovery, delivery, and process by providing advisory, consulting, and training services. Marty is also the author of Inspired, a number one bestseller on how to create products your customers love, as well as most recently, the co-author of Empowered. Marty started out his career as a software engineer at HP and went on uh, to serve as the VP of product at companies like Netscape and eBay. So my first question for you, Marty, is after a long career in software and product development, what has been the single biggest shift you have noticed in starting your career in product? Oh, boy, that's a big question, actually. What's the biggest shift? It's complicated because we really have two worlds out there in the product world. We have how the best companies work and how the rest work. And unfortunately, I would argue the best companies are maybe 5 or 10% of the companies there. So maybe the biggest shift I've seen is the gap that's been growing between those two. When I first started my career, there wasn't that big a gap between the best and the rest. Today, there's a massive gap between the best and the rest. And that, of course, is very counterintuitive. You think that, you'd think that the profit motive alone would motivate more companies to work like the best, but there's a lot of reasons why they don't. And so today, you see a tremendous chasm between how the best work and how the rest work. And I think that's probably the biggest... I don't know if it's the biggest, but it's certainly the most frustrating change. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, what do you think is causing this? Do you think it's just due to the sheer number of companies now competing in the market versus maybe back like 5, 10, 15 years ago when you just had a limited set of companies working on product? Or uh, do you think there's other factors that are causing this? I know there's many factors for sure, but it is true that 20, 30 years ago, there was a pretty small bubble for technology. It was, it was Silicon Valley, of course, with San Francisco, with Seattle, and some a little bit in New York, and knows it. And probably 90% of the real innovative companies were coming out of there. Now that's not true at all, of course. Uh, it's, it's truly global. And that's actually one of my favorite changes because uh, I love the fact because it was already they were running out of room in, in San Francisco anyway. So I love that it's more uh, diverse. But on the other hand, what we see, and I think this is probably the largest contributor to that gap I was just talking about, is so many people starting companies have never seen it done. They've never worked at a good company before. They've never seen it. All they know is, well, what do they know? Maybe something they learned in business school or maybe something they read about in an article or on a book. And so they've never experienced it. And so they more of the old mistakes being made now than ever before. Yeah, I can totally relate to that as well. Myself, I grew up in South Africa. I've been living in Cyprus for the last 18, 19 years now. And when you don't have access to a network, to the environment to learn, you're forced to actually leave and to put yourself in places, into environments. And previous with companies, like I, I left Cyprus to stay in Copenhagen for a while, to stay in Boulder, Colorado for a while, really just to try and immerse myself in different communities where you could find these good companies uh, doing great things. But if you're not, you just, you don't know what you don't know. It, it really is an eye opener when you see a company doing product well. That's true. And I think the biggest reason we've seen success spread around the world is so many of my friends that had I'd worked with for years in Silicon Valley, they went back to India, they went back to China, they went back to Germany, back to England, and they brought what they learned with them and they created amazing companies. So today it's really not limited, but you're right. And, and I do have a lot of sympathy for those leaders that have never been exposed to the option, to the alternative. For sure. And because uh, I don't think it's for lack of trying or lack of want uh, for most people, it's more just not knowing what you don't know. Very cool. Talk to us a little bit about the new book. Obviously, like we, we can talk about Inspired for hours because I think that's uh, a number one bestseller. But I'm interested now a little bit more. Obviously, I mentioned to you that I just have about halfway through the book now, Empowered. What was the motivation to, to write this or co-author the second book now? And maybe just give us a quick overview. Yeah. What motivated Empowered was actually Inspired, uh, the book Inspired, and uh, it sounds like you're familiar with Inspired. And it, of course, speaks right to the topic of retention, because, of course, Inspired, if you create a product your customers love, you're going to be in a much better position in terms of retention than a product that people really don't love. And, of course, we see that all the time. And, and that is, so my the first book, Inspired, was meant to really share the techniques that good companies had figured figured out in order to create a product that people really do want to keep buying every year. But what I found was the techniques for the teams spread, especially with the second edition of Inspired. It got more of a global readership and they spread all over the world. But what happened was the leaders in those companies didn't know how 
to set up an organization so that teams like that can work, do good work. And so I started hearing from people, literally engineers, designers in random parts of the world that said, we want to work like this, but our management won't let us. And of course, that was crazy to me. I didn't understand why not. Like literally, you don't want to work like the most valuable companies in the world. Is that not reason enough? But I started talking to these people. In many cases, I started visiting them and understanding what was going on. And I realized, like we talked about before, they had never seen it done well. They had no idea. In fact, the closest they'd seen to anything is what in the US we call IT. And in the rest of the world, IT just means whatever, technology. But in in Silicon Valley, IT is not what we do in a tech product company. It is what you do in a bank or something where you just hire a bunch of renta developers to build whatever garbage some stakeholders ask for. And so that's all they know. And so they say, we're going to build like that. And that, of course, is a recipe for failure. So anyway, I realized that it's not enough to share the techniques of what good teams do. I needed to share the techniques of what good leaders do. And that's so that was the motivation for Empowered. I had no desire for another three-year project to write a book, but, <laughs> but I realized it really was needed. And yeah, that's what it empowered is for leaders of engineering, design, product, and the leaders of the company. Yeah, it's off to a pretty good start. And I hear all the time from CEOs that tell me now they understand this is what they want to do. They just didn't know what to call it. They didn't know how to work, but they knew they wanted to work like Google. They knew they wanted to work like Amazon. They just didn't know what that meant. Yeah. What does that mean? Maybe give us like a couple of points, like some of the companies that you're seeing and leaders themselves, like really effectively building their companies and empowering their product teams. What are they doing? It's almost where to start. The big takeaway is that it's a very different model from top to bottom. It's a very different model. Some of the things I often share with the CEOs when they just don't yet appreciate how different it is. I say, look, today you're outsourcing most of your engineers. That's You would never do that at a good product company. I I would tell them that a good product company would no sooner outsource their CEO than they would outsource their engineers. And they're like, okay, I I don't understand why. And I said, look at every innovative product that you love. Let's look at your iPhone. Let's look at your Alexa device. Let's look at your Peloton. Let's look at Stripe. Let's look at Slack. Any of these. Who do you think invented these things? It was the engineers. Do you think that happens if you've outsourced your engineers? First of all, like you've got to have a very different understanding of engineering. Plus, when you talk about technology, I tell them you talk about it like a cost center. You're trying to reduce costs. That's not technology. A good product company, they view technology as a profit center. It's a completely different perspective, a completely different model. And I explained to them, it goes way beyond design and product and engineering. It goes, it hits, it impacts finance, HR, sales, marketing, all of this. Usually I miss, of course, I would normally do this in a over dinner with the founders. Can't do that for a while. I'm looking forward to get back, but it doesn't take too long before they realize, oh my gosh, all right, this is a very different model. It's a very different way of working. And 
that's what we need to get them to understand. Once they understand how different it is, then they could talk about how do I change? And I love the point as well that you make in terms of the outsourcing model, because this is something like you hear extremely often. And ultimately, if you're building a technology company and you're outsourcing your technology, are you really building a company? It, it's never made sense to me. This is one. I think you can move faster maybe with outsourcing, but I think every single time I've tried it, like it never ends up uh, working out well because I think one, it's like uh, you don't have the core competency in-house to be able to work with you. But secondly, if you're outsourcing, they're not really motivated to solve the problems like the way you are. They're not really invested or interested or intrigued. So I think there's just a number of issues when it comes to it. And even if you got very lucky and they were motivated, they're not in a position to do that. They're not even invited to the party right, where those things are figured out. They're not in the room when the roadmaps are conceived. They are just literally there as mercenaries. So it's really set up to fail when it comes to innovation. And it doesn't go faster at all. And it doesn't save money at all. This is uh, very common misunderstandings. But like I said the diff- at the beginning, the difference between the best and the rest, this is not a small difference. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things like I was listening to recently because I've got the book on Audible is that, and it's also been thinking like myself internally with the company now that we're building is that often they're not when it comes to product, we get sucked into this motion of just managing the backlog, doing our daily scrums and then shipping and not really doing much product work, really like focusing on the discovery, understanding the customer's pain points and, and how we build. So how are some of the good companies out there doing this effectively? How are they managing their time and how are they empowering their teams to actually do product discovery and product work? Yeah. And what you're describing is not even product management, even though they call it that. It's project management. That's what that is. It's the product owner role on an agile team. It's not a product manager. This is not really an issue so much in, it's not, when I point out to friends in good product companies that this is what's going on, they can't believe it. They've never heard of this. But in a lot of the world, especially Europe, that's what they think. Uh, They think that's what a product job is. And really the root of that is because they're being taught by coaches, agile instructors that have never done the job. All they know is the process and they're confusing the process with the job. And this has caused serious problem across the in, across Europe in terms of innovation. They are really been struggling because of this. And I've been calling this out increasingly. I wrote an article recently called the CSPO pathology. This is the certified scrum product owner pathology. In other words, why so many products fail because of those people. It's, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're teaching. They've never done it before. So it's, we call that the blind leading the blind. And uh, that is, that's right off the bat. So this is another one of those big differences between how the best and the rest work. The job fundamentally is different. You said, how do they empower the team? Truth is in, most, in, those, in companies like that, they don't empower the team. They are, they're not meant to be empowered. They're meant to just code. So the the product owner there is prioritize the backlog. The designer makes it pretty, makes it follow the company style guide. And the engineers, the first time they see the ideas, it's sprint planning and they're just there to code. That's it. So that is the opposite of what a good company does. 
literally the polar opposite of what a good company does. So that's back to, okay, we need the company to take a much different perspective on this. We need to, instead of giving these team roadmaps of features to build, we need to give them problems to solve. And then what empowerment means is they get to figure out the best way to solve those problems. Not just the best way to code, but the best way to solve the problem. And that's what a, a true, that's what a real product team does. They combine product skills, design skills, engineering skills to solve hard problems in ways that the customers love, but work for our business. We can sustain a business. Yeah, I think this is like one of those areas. I think maybe early on in my career as well, I made a similar mistake was with just trying to prepare a backlog bring the ideas and this is what we need to execute and definitely been guilty of in the past. But I can't remember what it was like about maybe eight, nine years ago, I was somewhere and someone said to me, what do you mean you don't bring engineers into the brainstorming sessions? Like it's literally their job all day, every day to solve prob- like hard problems, like coming up with unique solutions to these problems and you're not bringing them into these sessions. Like you're literally leaving your best assets on the table by not involving them in the process early on, not bringing them in. And that was like an aha moment for me, like early on in my career as well. And it definitely see how this comes into empowerment. And it's not about telling people what to do. Like it's give them a problem and let them figure it out. Like that's what they enjoy doing. That's what they're going to love doing. And that's what's going to give you the best results. I think. Yeah, another really good company I haven't mentioned yet, of course, is is Netflix. And they like to, they have a mantra in the company, which is lead with context, not control. And the idea is instead of control is telling teams, this is what you need to build. Context is this is the problem we have. This is our strategy. This is our partnerships. But you have to figure out the best solution to this. And of course, The premise here of all good companies, there was a great quote from Steve Jobs before he died at Apple. uh, We don't hire all these smart engineers in order to tell them what to do. We hire them to show us what's possible. And the premise is the engineers, like your friend told you, your engineers are working with the enabling technology every single day. So it puts them in the best position to see what's just now possible. If you give an engineer like that the context they need, that's when the magic happens. And the irony to me is how few companies do that. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like this is like a a really great time for the book as well. And I definitely see like you singled out Europe as well as the mistakes happening here as well. And I think living in Europe, I definitely do see this like trend happening and having lived on both sides in the US. And it definitely is a different environment. And like early on, I went to an accelerator program out in Copenhagen. I went to accelerator program out in uh, Boulder, Colorado. And just like the speakers that came to speak to the mindset that they came to the products, like the way you're talking about startups and things was like, was mind-blowingly different. It wasn't like, uh, I remember just when we arrived in Boulder, Colorado, like three co-founders back then, and we were just like, where have we come sort of thing. Being in that environment for us was like critical to getting like that knowledge and understanding. I wanted to touch a little bit on, so when it comes to general retention, so often we talk about alignment being critical to being able to solve for general retention and not just through the product org, uh, but through the entire company. And what are some of the areas where you're seeing like really good product company, uh, product teams aligning with the company as goals and how are they going about tackling these challenges together as a team? Yeah, big topic for sure. Alignment is absolutely critical, but it's more of a consequence of a good holistic product strategy. 
And of course, so many people, you can see there's no alignment in their company at all because what they're really doing is chasing a hundred different things. And the chances of those hundred different things taking you all in the same direction are almost nil. So what in a good company, of course, it's a very different model. They have a product strategy that is all in in service of achieving a product vision. So we start with a business goal, we get into product vision. The product strategy though, is how we're going, which was it's number one, what problems do we need to solve in order to deliver on that vision? And at the same time, meet the needs of the business as we go. That's where the problems to solve actually come from that we're going to give to the product teams. If you do this holistic product strategy I'm talking about, alignment is easy. Alignment is natural. Every team is doing something for a purpose to get us to this whole accomplish these goals. And in fact, in most companies that are still working on product market fit, retention is, (laughs) that's like everybody needs to be focused on that. Uh, we're not, it's one of our favorite ways to know if we really have product market fit uh, is retention. So we need everybody aligned around that goal. Again, if you just tell everybody, here's a bunch of features to build, they're all randomly going in many different directions. But if you've, if you've got uh, strong product teams, all working, we say highly aligned, but loosely coupled, you're going to make a much bigger impact on those goals like retention. Absolutely. And you talked a little bit about setting these goals and uh, taking a step back, looking at sort of the overall company strategy. And from that, like looking at what the product strategy needs to look like, what problems need to be solved. What sort of frameworks are you seeing companies align around? Is it OKRs or any other sort of frameworks that you're seeing some of uh, the best companies using really to align their teams? What maybe like makes sense for different stages of companies that you've seen? So you mentioned like early stage companies still seeking product market fit versus maybe some of the larger companies, corps like eBay and so forth. Like what good frameworks can teams implement uh, at the different stages for them to get this? Well, the first thing I tell people is don't overly focus on frameworks. There's mostly a lot of scams going on. People, it's that silver bullet thing. They try to tell you this is going to do it and that. And I think you feel the same way I do about that. There is a technique that works from early stage startup to huge companies that is very much about alignment. And that is the OKR technique. But the main reason the OKR technique is not helpful for the vast majority of companies is because the OKR technique was created around the empowered model, but most companies don't use that model. Like I said, most companies are not the best, they're the rest. And they have a very uh, mercenary model and the whole idea of OKRs don't work with that. But if you've got the empowered, if you've got empowered product teams, OKRs are very much, first and foremost, they're an empowerment tool. They are designed to give teams problems to solve rather than features to build. But beyond that, the next big benefit is it's an alignment tool to make sure we're all, for example, let's say, um, let's just say we're working on retention and we've got a marketing organization is out there recruiting pretty much anybody that they can find. On the other hand, we got a product organization trying to make the people that actually come through happy and love the product. If the organization is not aligned, 
that's going to just be a mess. Marketing is going to deliver based on one sort of narrow view of cost. And the product is going to like say, what do we do with all? We're getting all the wrong people here. The people we need are these people, not those people. And we're out of alignment. On the other hand, if our goal is, yeah, we need to reduce retention. We're gonna, we have a product strategy here and we need to make sure we're recruiting we're into the funnel the right people that we can convert into a happy long long time customers yeah. so that's an example where you really need that alignment yeah and i definitely see how OKR is failing at companies where you don't have this empowered uh, model and you're not empowering your team because definitely i've seen them like work previously in companies that are really effective where they had a really strong empowerment uh, culture and it was really up to the team. These are the main three challenges for the company for this next year. It's up to you and your teams now to figure out like how your team is going to contribute to this and how we're going to work together. And I think for me, this was like the single biggest shift I noticed uh, at the previous company at Hotjar where uh, churn and retention really started making big improvements was once we really started like having the strong alignment as a company, and you mentioned a few examples, marketing, just throwing leads through the funnel and then product on the other end, looking like who we gotcha, like sales trying to close deals because the incentives are aligned wrong with closing a deal, not retaining a customer. And But when you have this really strong alignment from the top down and this empowerment mode, it's like everybody knows like this is the number one goal. These are the two things that we absolutely need to achieve. And being able to rally around that really sort of, it's an amazing feeling, I think, when you get this motion working up and running. And absolutely, I think for me, highly recommended. Maybe there's one other thing. Let me add, if I could, to this, because this is something that a lot of companies don't understand. They think they can, they know they need a highly aligned organization. Of course, that's not that hard to understand that they need it. But what they don't understand is the role of their leaders in accomplishing that. They think they can just say some metrics to the teams and they'll be fine. And that's not how it works at all. The highly aligned organizations have very actively involved leaders and managers. They are making sure that teams are highly aligned. That's easy to say at a high level, much harder to do in practice, because in practice, there will be many conflicts. There will be many confusions. We'll find that this KPI gets better, but hurts this other KPI. We need to resolve these things. And unless you have managers that are actively involved in ensuring this alignment, doesn't happen. It doesn't. Yeah, definitely see that. And I think when you mentioned in terms of metrics and like how definitely across the organization, one can impact the other, it definitely is a point of conflict when you start impacting other teams' metrics and trying to achieve a, a common goal. The... Next thing I wanted to ask you is let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now that you join a new company and you arrive and general retention is not doing great at this company. And the CEO comes to you and says, hey, Marty, like we really need to turn things around. We need to do it fast as well. We have 90 days. You're in charge and you need to try and turn things around. But the trick is you're not going to go and say, okay, I'm going to speak to customers, understand what their biggest problem is and their pain points, and then I'm going to start from there. You're going to go with something that you've seen been really effective in the past, maybe at a previous company or a previous consulting environment and 
just run with that playbook. What would be the one thing that you would want to try and introduce the company to try and reduce churn fast? Ironically, the one thing I probably would immediately turn to in this scenario, this hypothetical scenario, is talking to customers. Yeah. So, for example, I meet so many companies like I like you. Most of them are struggling with churn. Churn is just the symptom, right? It's the proof point that you have not got the product right. So they know that the product's not right. And at least almost everybody I talk to, they are good at the data. They're collecting the analytics. So they understand this. But what I try to explain to them is that the analytics will tell you what's happening, but it can't really tell you why. And so I, I usually, if I'm, and I will admit, I don't, I'm not a believer in just everybody do this. It's I, I like to dig deeper because every company really does have differences. But if you were looking for a principle, it would be this. I tell them, all right, you've got people leaving every day. When's the last time you actually talked to those people that left to really understand why they've left? I can't believe how little this actually happens in companies that are struggling. And I'm like, get going. And they're confused. They think we would need to talk to a thousand of them to have statistically significant results. And I'm like, you're not trying to get statistically results. You're trying to learn what is wrong with your product. Just get on the phone, get on a Zoom call every day with a half a dozen people who have left the service and talk to them about their experience. It's really not rocket science, but talk to them about their experience. Now, Obviously, you have to be careful not to guardrail and just jump to the last thing you heard because you're looking for patterns. You're looking for the broader picture. But it's amazing to me how many people don't take advantage of this very simple technique of talking to your customers about why they left. And I find it incredibly valuable and always useful and very often leads to the insight that really fixes this product. Yep, for sure. I think definitely in, in the early stages, well, you can get carried away and over-optimize on metrics, but definitely in the early days, like talking about statistical significance, most of the time you don't really have the data points to be able to get that anyway. And yeah. I think, again, this is something I was guilty of in, in the previous startup where we had like over-engineered our metrics and analytics. We had every metric under the sun. We had an amazing uh, setup data warehouse and so forth. But we just didn't have the stickiness there. And we didn't, like you say, bother to actually get on the phone and speak to people and ask them, like, why were you leaving? This time around, it's like the complete opposite. It's just like, whoever comes in, let's get an onboarding call. Let's have a discussion. Let's And just having these conversations is like a million times more impactful and powerful than just looking at any analytics or dashboard or metrics. And it, it has its time and place. But if you don't have the what with the why, like you say, I think uh, you're totally missing out on that full picture uh, and you make decisions blind as well at the end of the day. What's one thing you know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? Oh, man, there's so many things. When I, You have to realize I started my career a really long time ago. I was, it was before the internet. It was during the PC time. And products were very, they were, this was way before Agile. These were like 12 to 18 month product efforts. And 
all the problems that come with that. It was so much harder to learn. First of all, you had to wait so long before you got any feedback on your products. And I'd say the most fundamental thing that's really changed is today we get feedback before we build the products, not after we build the products. And that just changes everything. And and I think the success rate is absolutely a function of that. You need to make sure that you've got a solution that's valuable, usable, feasible, viable before you write a line of code. And in, when I started my career, oh, people didn't really know how to do that. I'm, there were a few places that were starting to, but as a general rule, no. Today, much, much better. And we have so many tools and techniques to do this. Yeah, I, I, uh, a friend of mine actually just, his name's Ken Norton. You might've heard with him. He's a longtime Googler who now is, uh, he's a, he, he advises product leaders and product teams. And one of the companies he's worked with is Slack. And he shared a, a terrific article just recently about, because many of you, many of us use Slack, and you might have seen they did a pretty important new capability recently called Huddles, which is more around trying to get that personal, interpersonal dynamic that we lost uh, very much when we, when the pandemic happened. Anyway, so super worthy problem, very hard problem, and he talked about how the product team did the product discovery work to do that, how they prototyped, how they tested, how they learned, how they iterated. And I just, uh, and I hadn't uh, seen that example and I read it and I'm like, that's a beaut- That's why Slack is doing so well. That's what you look for in a good product team right there. And uh, it's a good summary of it. He's, he's written lots of good articles. I would encourage your, your listeners to uh, check him out. Yeah, absolutely. We'll find that and leave those in the show notes for sure. I think it sounds super interesting. And definitely Slack is is top on the list. I'd say for me, like top five product. Uh, it's unbelievable the way they execute. And I think it's all around though with Slack. It's not just the product itself. It's like from the marketing to the copywriting to the microcopy, just the whole team is on point. Uh, I think all around. I would argue that's you're seeing the benefit of the alignment we were talking about before. Right. When a company's got a good strategy, when they're highly aligned, when they have good leaders, that's what everything contributes. And the impact is that whole one plus one is greater than two. That's what happens when you're highly aligned. Absolutely. Marty, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today. I see we're running up on time. I want to say, like, is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Like, how can they keep up to speed with the work? What should they be paying attention to? I continue to write articles on product topics that I see. Uh, all of them, one way or another, I would say, contribute to reducing churn, contribute to retention, because that's all, my thing is all about better products. Yeah, and that's all published at svpg.com. But I think uh, focusing on creating great products is what it's all about. Uh, And that's a lot harder than it sounds, obviously. Coming up with something that your customers actually love enough to buy and find value enough to buy, but also can sustain a business. But a lot of people don't. It's hard to do. It's very hard to do. And uh, a lot of people make the mistake of trying to make it sound easy, but I don't think that's fair to anybody. It's not easy. It takes a lot of work. But I think anybody who's working on that quest, it's good thing. And hopefully the people that are listening to you are getting better at that. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much uh, for the listeners. as well. We'll definitely add all the show notes uh, from Marty. Uh, check out the new book, Empowered. And if you haven't read Inspired yet, grab a copy of that too. Absolutely some golden nuggets in that book. And I'm still only halfway through mine. I'm looking forward to finishing it off. So Marty, thanks so much uh, for joining today. I really appreciate the time and it was great getting to, to learn from you. Thanks very much for inviting me, Andrew. Appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.